0: Welcome to Words Matter. I'm Elise Jordan, along with Steve Schmidt. Our goal is to promote objective reality. As a wise man once said, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, not their own facts. Words have power, and words have consequences.
1: Steve, as you and I know well, this is the time for closing arguments in a political campaign. And as the 2018 midterm election comes to the finish line, Donald Trump is not talking about the economy. He's not talking about tax cuts or even the Supreme Court justices he's gotten confirmed. Donald Trump's closing argument is about sending active duty military personnel to the United States-Mexico
2: border. This is a scandal or should be what Donald Trump is doing. This is the abuse of the United States military for nonsensical purposes, political purposes, and it's wrong. Uh, The United States military has been at war for 16 years across the Middle East, and Iraq, Afghanistan. These troops have deployed countless times. These are regular army troops, elements of the 101st Airborne, the 4th Infantry Division, the 82nd Airborne Division. These are warfighters. No doubt their training cycle has been broken, and they are being sent down for a fake mission. This is extraordinary in that what Trump is saying is that the country is being invaded. It's being invaded by an army an army that broke through the Mexican border, an army that's approaching America, filled with disease, leprosy, infested, dehumanized by the propaganda arm that surrounds Donald Trump. The American military is trained to fight wars. We're not being invaded. He's making this up out of whole cloth. It's a remarkable moment that this many people in the country are susceptible to to a lie so brazen, so outlandish, so grandiose. And yet, he has the power to act on the lie by ordering active-duty elements of the U.S. military to the Mexican border in the largest number of American forces deployed there since the Mexican War in a situation where their presence isn't required because there is no threat.
1: Last week, the official newspaper of the Department of Defense, Stars and Stripes, reported the specific units that would be deployed by Donald Trump to the border. And it was shocking that those troops include elements of the 4th Infantry Division, that among other things was the unit that captured Saddam Hussein. Also named was the legendary 101st Airborne, a division that in addition to exceptional valor in almost every military operation of the last 100 years, was sent by President Eisenhower to Little Rock, Arkansas in 1957 to enforce Brown v. the Board of Education, and protect nine black high school students as they lawfully entered Little Rock High School. And last, but certainly not least in my house, the equally legendary and storied 82nd Airborne out of Fort Bragg, North Carolina, a division with the motto, Airborne Leads the Way, and one that my father, Sergeant Richard Levine of the 503rd MP Battalion, can tell you from personal experience is capable of being deployed anywhere on Earth in 18 hours. These troops are among the best of the best. Steve, what's going on here?
2: The stupidity of all of this, when you think about the active duty, the regular forces of the U.S. Army that are being sent there. And of course, these are the units that led the way, the 82nd and 101st Airborne, uh, jumping into Normandy, the 4th Infantry Division on Utah Beach, commanded by General Teddy Roosevelt Jr., storied units, all of them having seen many, many tours across Iraq and Afghanistan. And they are being deployed under Title 10, which means that they can't arrest anybody. They're prohibited from engaging in any law enforcement activity. So that means their function on the border is this. They could say if someone was running across the border, point to that person and get the attention of someone in the border patrol and say there's someone running there. You might want to get them. That's all they can do. And you think about how many Christmases, how many Thanksgivings, how many Miss Christmas pageants, birthdays, football games, how many wedding anniversaries, how many times have these soldiers been deployed? And to be deployed for a nonsense mission heading into the holidays, disrupting their training cycle, is an abuse of the personnel the equipment and the armed forces by a partisan president who is using a scare tactic to throw himself a a fake invasion. It's incredible.
1: Most closing arguments in the last week of a campaign are about accomplishments, either the candidate's own accomplishments or their opponent's lack thereof. These are the final summations about what these candidates and their campaigns are all about. This is what they stand for. What do you think of Donald Trump's message over the last week?
2: What's extraordinary about the close to this campaign is the degree to which Donald Trump has utterly, completely, totally embraced fear and incitement as the means to motivate his voters to the polls. He has stoked a cold civil war. It is just remarkable to consider in this aftermath of an assassination attempt on our two former presidents. The country finds itself at a monumental fork in the road. This is the most important midterm election in American history. And it has ended in the most rancid way. We see a president of the United States, Donald Trump, out there stoking and inciting a cold civil war which has turned hot on the periphery, a man who drove around in a white van festooned with patriotic images of Trump and Pence together, while there were images of Hillary Clinton and Michael Moore and other figures of the left with rifle targets over their heads. He engineered the largest assassination plot in American history. We saw a man in Pittsburgh who, before he entered a synagogue with an AR-15, killed 11 people, shot four police officers. What he heard in the vast propaganda industry that surrounds Trump, what he heard is that the Jews were funding the caravan, the caravan coming to America to invade. And what he said before he went in to do murder, he said, I can't sit back and watch my people be exterminated. Screw the optics. I'm going in. And in he went and he killed 11 Jews. Now, the president has said, that there is a way for this violence to stop, and he's been quite clear about it. He said that, in fact, it is the media that is responsible for the violence because the media criticizes him. We saw a person with a USC journalism degree on Fox & Friends say, well, if the media would just cover the things that the president would like to see covered, then the violence would stop. This is autocratic. Even after the bombs were sent to CNN, we have a president saying— that the media is the enemy of the people. He's saying that they deserve it. There's been no let-up on the incitements. And now, in the final weekend, he has audaciously, brazenly told the big lie. And the danger of this isn't its stupidity, or its vileness, or its malice, or its racist intent. It's that we live in a country, apparently, the 40% of the population... Is ready to fall for it. Ready to buy the idea that the United States is threatened by an invading army, an infested horde, bringing leprosy and who knows what other disease.
1: Is this message of fear effective?
2: This is a moment where Trump's assault on objective truth bears fruit. Where not only, as he once famously said, could he shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and get away with it, but now... He can make up out of whole cloth this idea that America is threatened by invasion, and he will to stop it, send active duty elements of America's most lethal combat units to the Mexican border. He'll take them out of their training cycle, and they will go to a political mission. The abuse, misuse of the United States military in this way is unforgivable, and the silence silenced silence by senior elected leaders in this country not talking about the inherent wrongness and the inhumanity and callousness towards our troops who have gone on deployment after deployment after deployment.
1: What about the members of Congress like Tom Cotton, who served in the 101st Airborne, and Lindsey Graham, who served in the Air Force? These politicians rode their military service into office, and they talk about it like the fictional character Danny Chung from Veep, What do you say to them and others on Capitol Hill who are charged with congressional oversight?
2: Members of Congress, particularly the members of Congress who served, who served in the military, served in combat, have an important responsibility to be good stewards of the American military, to watch it be abused and misused in this political way. There's no excuse for it. The military is above politics in this country. It's not a political prop. It is not a force to be used for the president to show power the military is being deployed out of their training cycles for a mission against a threat that is made up completely between the ears of trump a fantasy for him to demagogue incite and stoke fear in the country about the other the other that's coming to invade Is this an abuse of power? It represents an extraordinary abuse of power. The president has no higher responsibility than his commander-in-chief of the U.S. military. What
1: about the other side? Is the message they are putting forward that there needs to be a check on Donald Trump, is that an effective message?
2: The fear of Trump, can make the argument, is a real thing to fear. Because only one of two things can happen after this election. Trumpism can be repudiated. Or it will be validated. What does it mean? What does it mean? If a president who in the final weeks resorts to a racial malice that would make George Wallace blush incites violence, it continues to do so even after there's been violent acts who says that the cause of the violence is criticism of him that while investigations continue to swirl, he will be completely emboldened, and he will be completely unrestrained in the exercise of his political power. Steve,
1: what happens if Trump is not
2: repudiated? Imagine the tone of the election in 2020 if the lesson from the 2018 election is that the Republican majorities were saved by racial incitement, is that you would see... The Republican Party, the party that began its history talking about free soil and free men, become a white, identity, blood-and-soil, European-style political party, a white, ethnocentrist party in battle in a cold civil war against the rest of the country that doesn't look like them. It would be old, it would be white, it would be rural, and the Democratic Party would radicalize. The magnitude of the failure— the disappointment would be almost indescribable.
1: Let's for a minute, Steve, talk about the practical consequences of the validation of Donald Trump. Put that in perspective for us. And how emboldened will he be?
2: The validation of Trumpism has enormous consequences. He would almost certainly act to end the Mueller investigation, to fire Rod Rosenstein, to fire Jeff Sessions. He would be unobstructed, and he would know that inside the Republican Party, that there would be no one to challenge him. Not even a Bob Corker or Jeff Flake who occasionally send a tweet of some objection. There wouldn't even be that. There wouldn't even be that.
1: What will it mean on that score if Republicans hold the House and hold the Senate?
2: There's nothing to shock anymore. What we see is plainly in front of us, and its meaning is certainly clear. And what it would mean is if Republicans were to hold the House and the Senate is that at its first electoral test, Trumpism was validated. And it comes down to a jury of one. How will Trump react to it? What he would know is that there was no restraint on the office of the President of the United States, that all of the criticism, all of the negative press, it was his incitements, His racial animus, his dishonesty, his ferociousness, his scapegoating that carried the day. And thus, the era of the investigations will be over. We will not know the truth because he will fire everybody. And what he will know for sure is though there may be some tweets, though there may be some outrage, that the Democratic Party is no threat and the Republican Party is no restraint. He runs the show. And I couldn't think of a more dangerous outcome for this country in the world right now than that. A Donald Trump who sees in his first electoral contest validation, not repudiation. This is a nationalized election. It's a referendum on Trump. Democrats have a great class of candidates. What it will have meant is that the message Trump delivered worked. That beginning with the Kavanaugh hearings and through the end, even through the assassination attempt, even through the murders in Pittsburgh, even through the nonsensical deployment of the U.S. military to the southern border, it worked. The propaganda worked. The campaign of fear worked. The Cold Civil War worked is what it would mean. And what that would mean is that the bonds of affection and trust would fray even further, that the assault on objective truth would be well down the field and that we would live in a country where the most prolific liar in American history could lie his way to victory in a campaign of division, of incitement and racial malice that all of us thought was something in America's past, but instead looms as the challenge of our time because it is an inherent threat, a fascistic threat. On our Republican democracy.
1: There's been a lot of talk about Donald Trump's rhetoric and acts of violence like the synagogue massacre in Pittsburgh. Is there a causal link?
2: When Donald Trump declares himself a nationalist, he is sending a signal to the darkest corners of America. He has mainstreamed white nationalists into a coalition, though maybe not front and center in the rallies, presence is always there. It exists on the web, the thousands of communications, the threats. They know exactly what Trump is trying to say. There's a reason that there are 60% more anti-Semitic incidents in this country this year than there were last year and more last year than the year before. Why is that? Was there an early spring rain and the crop of anti-Semites in the country has bloomed? That suddenly they're 60% more? Or do the anti-Semites we have feel emboldened to take action? To express what they knew they couldn't express before? Because they've gotten the wink and the nod. And there's been more dog whistles, more winks and nods, and at the end, shouts with bullhorns.
1: Steve, in all previous elections, at this point in the cycle, we talk about momentum and gaps closing. What is your sense about how it's going and how this is going to play out on Tuesday?
2: There's been more votes cast in 2018, in early voting, that there were in the entirety of the 2014 election. What that means is every model, every electoral model, is out the window. Nobody knows what's going to happen here because of the overwhelming turnout. The country's engaged, but people should vote who have fidelity to the American idea and ideal, who don't want to see the division, who don't want to see the lying, who don't want to see the cruelty, the incitement, the racial animus. Don't want to see this get worse. Don't want to see blood in the streets. Don't want to see the corruption. Don't want to see the assaults on institutions. They want to remain connected to the history of the country, connected to the march towards our ideas and ideals, and not to be part of a movement away from them. This is the most important election in American history, at the midterm point between presidential elections. There's never been another one.
1: And there you have it from someone who knows the most important midterm election in American history. That will have to be the last word on behalf of myself, Steve, Elise, and all of us at words matter. We encourage everyone to vote. The stakes couldn't be higher. And there's literally nothing more important. Vote, vote, vote. Vote. And we'll be right back with Elise on her sit down with Senator Roger Wicker, recorded in her grandmother's living room in Mississippi. You're not going to want to miss this one. Last week, Elise sat down with Senator Roger Wicker. Let's listen.
0: Last week, I was touring around the country doing focus groups and had planned to go home to Mississippi for the weekend. When on Wednesday night, my mama said her 14-year-old dog wasn't doing that well, so I called an earlier flight the next day. She picks me up. Unfortunately, our sweet Sophie passes away, and she also tells me that since I'm early, I could go that night to the first Baptist church that I grew up in and listen to our senator, Roger Wicker, who is running for re-election in Mississippi. That was the easiest try of Susan Jordan to ever get me to go to church, unfortunately, I will admit. So we decided to go to church, and she wanted to keep busy. And as soon as Senator Wicker came in, I asked him if he would do an interview, and he very gamely agreed, and he agreed to do it the next day.
3: Well, it's great to be with you. I have my happy socks on today. <laughs> we just opened the the complete Mississippi section of Interstate 269, and uh, we have one of the few new interstates in the country open in, uh, in in this county and in the next county over.
0: We had a little bit of a technical issue with our recording in my grandmother's living room. So I decided I wanted to tell this interview as a story, as a Mississippi story. It wasn't the normal environment that I conduct interviews on this podcast or say on Morning Joe with my mom and my uncle sitting on the couch across from me. My mom being a very polite Southern belle. And I had to ask some questions about Donald Trump's rhetoric and his tone and tenor.
3: Oh, well, I don't like the tenor of political rhetoric these days in America.
0: I was upset about how Donald Trump belittled Dr. Christine Blasey Ford in front of a Mississippi audience who cheered him on. I asked Senator Wicker about his thoughts on Donald Trump's criticism of Dr. Ford in our home state and got the backstory that. It had been a premeditated decision that Donald Trump had outlined flying down to South Haven, Mississippi on Air Force One.
3: You know, I was actually there for for that rally. It was it was the DeSoto County rally where the president had come in to make it emphatically clear that he was endorsing Senator Cindy Hyde Smith for reelection.
0: There's an ongoing debate about Donald Trump's rally rhetoric if he is such a master of sizing up his audience and he can see their passion and their energy and cater to what they want in a given moment or if he's actually plotting and thinking and there's a strategy to some of his most menacing menacing and bullying language in this case There was a strategy.
3: Uh, He told me on the way down on uh, Air Force One that uh, that he thought he had been uh, a little too easy on Dr. Ford in the sense that everyone was while doubting her story, everyone was making her into a sympathetic figure. So to me, this was the president's way facetiously with some sarcasm there as he uses To point out the inconsistencies in her story, Uh, I I did not view it with the um, with the outrage that um,
0: some of the members of both
3: parties did.
0: So I wanted to ask Senator Wicker, who was a deacon in the Baptist church, how he felt about Donald Trump's bullying as a Christian. And this is also coming from my grandmother's living room, where my grandfather also, a Southern Baptist deacon, he were still alive, I, I don't think that he would have very much tolerance or high regard for how Donald Trump treats other people. Here's what Senator Wicker said:
3: I have been a deacon. I'm an ordained deacon. I'm, I'm not an active deacon okay. right now. That's the way you, as a journalist, choose to characterize his conduct. In in asking the question i'm i'm not going to uh, i'm not going to subscribe to that i don't think it goes so far as bullying he's very emphatic horse faith? he gets his point across in uh in an unconventional way and he has a, a way of connecting to um to middle america in a way that that um uh, maybe a, a, a lot of us have been uh, that have been in politics longer have have been uh, uh told to avoid you, you really but, don't but think I'll, it's
0: bullying? You could say to your grandchildren, that's okay.
3: I'm I'm not uh, I'm not choosing to characterize it in that way. I will admit that it's uh that it's unconventional, but of course uh Donald Trump is completely unconventional. I prefer to talk about the accomplishments. And uh one way or another he led us to a great center-right victory two years ago. And based on that, with a Republican, bare Republican majority in the Senate, and a majority in the House, and the administration, he has followed up on promises that, that we all made. And so, so I, I, pre- I just prefer not to get into a long conversation okay. about the way the president— Uh, chooses his words.
0: Senator Wicker chalked up Donald Trump's language as unconventional and regarded me as a journalist, which was a little unnerving since I was asking him this question from a shared cultural context, from the shared context of growing up and being part of an evangelical religion in the South. It was interesting to me that It could be unconventional to use that kind of language when everything I'd been taught previously in church told me that, no, that's just not behavior that Jesus would exactly be down with. I also asked a question that Senator Wicker really doesn't get asked very often in Mississippi. He's the chair of the U.S. Helsinki Commission, which emphasizes protecting human rights and attacking corruption around the world.
3: It's not something I run on.
0: Yes, but it's incredibly important. You're at the it's forefront really of pushing for fundamental human rights and right. the decency and dignity that we treat people in the world and stamping out corruption and in the, the global Magnitsky Act you've been active with. And right, I, was a, I was one
3: of the three major co-sponsors of the Magnitsky Act, which which ...is designed to show our disfavor on, on international thuggery and, and, uh, and lawlessness, much as, as um, President Putin has done in neo-Soviet Russia.
0: Senator Wicker raised the possibility of sanctions for the Saudi leadership who played a role in the murder of Jamal Khashoggi.
3: ...points to a real debate about extending global Magnitsky sanctions to uh, to the perpetrators, to think of a of a country being prominent on the international scene uh, with a government that that is represented by talented diplomats to think of that government offering such flimsy versions and contradicting themselves and being caught and then having to finally admit that the murder was premeditated it's it, it uh, takes your breath away that the saudis could be uh, in, involved in such a thing but every bit of evidence so far points to that so let's let the uh, investigation go forward but it looks it looks extremely bad and uh and the truth will come out just like the, the truth, truth always came, comes out. just like the truth came out um on the murder of mr magnitsky an innocent lawyer who was just trying to inform his, governor, his government about a, a fraud taking place in Russia. The truth will come out, and we, we're going to have to let the chips fall where they may. We Obviously, we'd like to be friends with the Russian people. Uh, we're, we're not very friendly with the Russian government right now. The same is true with the Saudis. We, uh, we'd we love to have wonderful relations. They're important to us. They're important in the region. They're a counterbalance against iran all of that is important but uh the the sort of uh of absolute brutality and an outright premeditated murder that that has apparently taken place with the blessing tacit or otherwise mm-hmm. of the highest uh, officials in the saudi government it's it's a matter of concern we're gonna have to deal with it and we and it's not something that that we can sweep under the rug. I wish it hadn't happened.
0: Do you think that we should stop arms sales to Saudi Arabia and stop our support of what they're doing—the w- war in Yemen? That's no, uh, essentially a famine at this point.
3: Well, what's happening with with Yemen is uh, is a travesty. I'm not ready to say we should we should stop the arms sales mm-hmm. to our ally Saudi Arabia. I'm not ready to say that, but but it's a debate that we need to have after the investigation is complete mm-hmm. let's get the facts Find out uh how high it actually goes in the hierarchy over there and see what uh what the reaction of the uh, of the monarchy is it might be that they'll replace the people involved uh, i would hope that uh that they would be severely dealt with for murder and once that investigation is complete then Further dealings needs to be on the table, whether, so, whether we stay with further dealings. Yes.
0: I also put myself out there as a potential debate moderator if Senator Wicker would agree to participate in the debate.
3: Thank you so much. And I think if there, if there were a debate, you would, uh, you would be very, very good. We have developed a campaign plan, and it has not included debates. Uh, you are a great member of the press, and I will have to say the only people— the whole campaign that have asked me about debates uh, have been the press, except of course for my opponent. He's he's asked about it too. But I think we're entitled to run our own campaign, and this is not something the public is uh, is clamoring for. So the answer is. Uh, very doubtful. Thank I'd rather you, talk I, to reporters I like just you. Can't, I good, get much anytime, better questions.
0: time, I just love the robust uh, discourse of ideas, and you certainly seem like you have no problem talking about complicated ideas. So. I can
3: absolutely believe that you enjoyed the robust <laughs> discussion of ideas, and you've right. done a good job of it today.
0: Oh well, thanks so much for coming to Holly Springs and taking a well, trip. It's great to time. be
3: back in Holly Springs.
1: Thank you, Elise. Great stuff. It looks like Senator Wicker is afraid to say anything bad about Donald Trump, even sitting in your grandmother's living room. And we also want to thank our sponsor, Audible. We encourage everyone to go to audible.com wordsmatter words matter and sign up for your 30-day free trial. Audible, because words matter. And finally, one last time, on behalf of Steve, Elise, and all of us at Words Matter... Please take the time to vote. The stakes couldn't be higher. There's literally nothing more important. Please go out and vote.
2: Thank you for listening to Words Matter with Elise Jordan and Steve Schmidt. For more information on our show and hosts, visit wordsmattermedia.com.